following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Good morning. Pleased to see you all this morning. Uh, just uh, want to welcome those of you who are visiting with us uh, this morning or joining us online as well. Uh, and for those of you who are here all the time, hey, <laughs> we're back in First Peter this morning um, in chapter three. Uh, we're going to look at verses 13 through 17, um, a whole new page in the Pew Bibles. We've moved on to page 1016. It's very exciting Whew. for me, apparently. OK, well, in the last few weeks, we have. Uh, talked about everybody's favorite Christian virtue, submission. We love it. Submission as citizens. We've talked about submission as servants, submission as spouses. Last week, submission as saints. And now we're on to more submission. I was really hoping to turn the page here, but we are now on to submission as sufferers. Submission as sufferers. Submission and suffering all in one sermon. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, we're at the tip of the spear now, aren't we? So we're going to, uh, to begin, we're going to go back to verse 10 of chapter 3, uh, and then we'll jump right in. Peter writes, Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts... Honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your scripture this morning, and we thank you for your spirit that makes it come alive in our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would be our interpreter this morning as we study your word, that it is you who speak uh, to each of us. May your word come alive to us this morning, and may our lives be different as a result. We love you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, I've heard a lot of sermons on uh, this text, or at least some of these verses, that are all about evangelism and how we should tell everybody about the hope that is in us. Uh, that's, the, that's Peter's purpose, to tell everybody about the hope that's in you. And we should. I've also heard sermons on this text all about apologetics that's a 
uh, apologetics is uh, how to defend the faith. That's, uh, that's what the word is. Um, that, and, and that this text is all about uh, defending our faith. And we should. <laughs> but I don't think that's Peter's point. I don't think that's what he's emphasizing here at all. Those things are good. They are true. We should uh, share our faith. We should defend our faith. But I think the simple truth of what Peter's point is, is all found in one question. Do you really trust the Lord? That's the question that we need to answer. I've entitled this sermon uh, this morning, really just from my own reference, not so much for yours, but submission as sufferers, because suffering is the context uh, where this is where Peter has has been. Uh, that's what he's talking about. Suffering is the stage upon which our faith truly performs. Really, suffering is the stage upon which that which we trust is truly revealed. Suffering kind of pulls back the curtain to see who's really at the controls, who's turning all those wheels and pulling the levers. Whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous to do what is good? Hmm. This is an interesting question, and I think it bears some investigation. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Now, does that kind of make you think, wow, I'll just be zealous to do what is good and there won't be anybody that will ever give me any trouble? That's what God's word promises, right? Everything is going to go good. Nobody's going to bug me if I just am after what is good. Okay, that's a fortune cookie not God's word. That's not, that's not true at all. So we need to look at this because that's what it says. So is that what it says? Let's see. The word to do harm there in verse 13, who is there to harm you? That is, uh, it has the same Greek word as the word evil that we talked about last week. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. It's the same word. Who is there to do evil to you if you're zealous for what is good? Well, what about to be zealous for what is good? To be zealous is to be deeply committed to something, right? And therefore zealous or eager or enthusiastic. So if you are committed to what is good, um, uh, eager to do what is good, enthusiastic about what is good, who is there to do evil to you? 
Well, okay. So, well, what about what is good? What is what is the good that we should be zealous for? Just the mutual benefit of all mankind, and the planet, and the uh, everything, and the the bugs, and the we just be nice, and you're all set, right? Why, why aren't you saying amen? I mean, that's <laughs> mm, you're. We've been at this too long. I'm, I'm getting predictable. Hmm. So what is what is good to be deeply committed to? What is the ultimate good? It's Jesus, right? I, that's it. You are committed to the Lord Jesus Christ, to doing his will, to following his word, to acting as he would have us act. That is the ultimate good. You really want to do good for the planet, then pray for its people. Share the truth of the gospel with its people. So that we can rest assured that this world, no matter what condition it is in, is not our home. God's eternal kingdom is. We're just passing through. So... We got some questions here. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? Who is there to do evil if you are enthusiastic for Jesus and his way? So let's use our favorite Bible study tool for understanding meaning in a particular verse. It's my favorite tool. It's a plain reading of the text. Just read it because it. It says what it says. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? Does this really mean that no one can harm a Christian if they are deeply committed to Christ? That must be it. It's got to be, right? Well, let's look at a short list of examples. I'll give you 12. Peter, zealous for what is good, crucified upside down. James, zealous for what is good killed with the sword. John, zealous for what is good, died in exile. Andrew, zealous for what is good, crucified. Philip, zealous for what is good, crucified. Thaddeus, zealous for what is good, crucified. Simon the Zealot, crucified. Bartholomew, beaten with rods, scourged, then beheaded. Matthew, stabbed to death. Thomas, pierced with spears. James, son of Alphaeus, stoned, then clubbed to death. Zealous for what is good. So how is our plain reading of the text going now? <laughs> Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for doing good? Were those 12 men zealous for doing what is good? Yes. Were they zealous for Christ? Yes. They were all murdered for preaching the gospel. They were murdered for telling people about Jesus. They were committed to Jesus who is good. So, is God's word true or not? It is. So, what are we missing? What are we missing? They were all committed to Jesus who is good. And they were all slain and welcomed into the loving arms of their Savior, Jesus Christ. On the surface, from our perspective our worldly, earthly perspective, great harm was done to them. Evil was done to them. 
great evil. But that's because it, it appears evil was done to them because our definition of what is good is so tied to this world, to this life. Their trust was in the Lord Jesus. No earthly evil could harm their eternal good. That's what Peter means. Who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Not that there isn't anybody that's going to try to do evil to you. But the evil done to you, even if it costs you your life, if your trust is in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are zealous for what is good, zealous for the Lord Jesus, whatever evil is done to you is temporary and temporal. Our ultimate good is waiting for us in God's eternal kingdom. Who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. You will be blessed. Is there a promise here that we're not going to suffer? Life is going to be easy, man. Come to Christ and piece of cake, right? Everybody's that's borne out in experience, hasn't it? Yeah. There's no promise that we won't suffer. There's no promise that there won't be people that want to harm the church or to do us do evil to us individually. But there is a promise that if we should suffer for righteousness sake, we will be blessed. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think it's important for us to know uh, suffering is not the kind of stuff that we bring upon ourselves, right? Uh, If you're suffering for righteousness' sake, you're suffering because you're a Christian. You're suffering because you won't shut up about Jesus. You're suffering because people uh, hate the church and don't want to hear about it because the gospel exposes their own sin, and that's not okay. Nobody likes that. Suffering because you won't pay your taxes, <laughs> you go to jail, that's not persecution, friends. I mean, getting a speeding ticket because you were speeding, that's not persecution. You may suffer the wrath of the state, uh, but that's not the same thing. Suffering for righteousness' sake is very different. If you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. This is a direct, or mostly direct quotation from Isaiah 8. 12 and 13, where Isaiah writes, do not call conspiracy all that this people calls conspiracy. Do not fear what they fear, nor be in dread, but the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. Let him be your fear and let him be your dread. Do not fear what they fear. That, so I, I know I'm a nerd about this, but I love the Greek and and learning 
what Greek words mean and how they're used and why, why the translators just shorten this up to don't fear. Because in Greek, there's like five words there. Uh, phobon ho phobos, uh, which we all know, right? No, nothing. We don't know anything about that. Uh, do not fear what they fear. Don't fear the terror that they cause. Don't be afraid of what they're afraid of. Don't be stirred up emotionally. Don't be distressed. Don't be troubled by the trouble that they cause. It sounds easy, right? When people are freaking out, we can be like, hey, peace and love, brother. We're, we're good. No, well, Absolutely. John Calvin wrote, if we are convinced from the depth of our soul that the promised help of God is all sufficient, we shall be most effectually armed against fear. See, that's where we run into problems. Because here's the question again. Do you really trust the Lord? When trouble comes to your door, are you armed against the fear that trouble causes? The anxiety that it brings. Are you armed with all that's necessary to deal with that? And what's necessary to deal with that is a full and honest trust in the Lord. Because when we trust in, you know, God's happy with me when I am the most comfortable, right? When everything is going smoothly, it's obviously because, you know, me and God, we're, we're good. And if something's going wrong, I, I must have done something. I've got to figure it out. You know, what's my unconfessed sin? What, what sin am I unaware of that I can confess? And then, and then things will start going smoothly again. Because that's promised in Scripture, right? Not even close. Not even close. J.P. Lang wrote, The world is enraged. Satan shows his teeth. It rains enemies. Should this make you alarmed, you who love God? Have you not a father who is almighty and a king who is the conqueror of all his enemies? Shall men vile dust and ashes as they are or hell itself then be able to hurt one hair of your head unless he permits it? Therefore, be courageous. The Lord is with you. Come, sword of the Lord. That's our confidence. To know that everything that happens to us is not outside of God's will. It's not outside of God's command. When your loved one is sick or you're sick or something bad happens to you or somebody you care about, that's not, well, they obviously stepped outside of the will of the Lord. And now, you know, they're going to get chastised until they get back into the bubble. That's not it at all. God is at work in everything. The lousy situations that we keep on our prayer list, all these horrible things that are happening to people, along with the blessings, are all part of God's program. He is at work, and we have nothing to fear. He has already conquered the enemy. He has already conquered all of these situations, and they really are working together for our good. It's just that our definition of good is lousy because 
our definition of all things work together for good means all things work together according to my plan, right? Everything is just going to go the way I want it to. And it's going to come with monetary blessings. It's going gonna, it's gonna to come, you know, with children that follow the Lord. It's going to come with all of these things that we think that they are what makes happiness. And they're not. They're not. We have no need to fear harm or difficulty or death. I want to say that again, just in case. We have no need to fear harm or difficulty or even death. Why? Because our trust is in the Lord Jesus. All of these things work together. We have victory in Jesus over difficulty. We have victory in Jesus over harm. Victory in Jesus over death. Now, there are preachers in the world today that would tell you, yes, you have victory over these difficulties. That means they're going to stop. That is not what that means. It means that they can't do any permanent damage to you. It just matters what your definition of damage is. Eternally speaking, it's nothing. It's nothing. All of these martyrs, that didn't stop. It didn't stop the gospel. It didn't stop God's good from happening. I'm sure that they would have preferred other circumstances. I, I, I don't know if you've heard, but crucif- crucifixion is bad. I and mean, it's, un- it's unpleasant from what I've, from what I've read. I, I don't know. I've never tried it. We have no near need to fear harm or difficulty or death because we have victory in Jesus over all of it. But the Lord of hosts, him you shall honor as holy. That's what Isaiah said. And Peter says, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. It's the same. Isaiah and Peter were saying the same thing. Honor Christ the Lord as holy. Christ the Lord is the Lord of hosts. Revere him. Honor him. Set him apart in your hearts as Lord, as holy, as the one in charge. Submit to him. Glorify him in all that you do. Through faith in him, we have victory over our circumstances, victory over difficulty, victory over death. Even if our circumstances lead to our death, we still have victory because death is a defeated enemy. That's where you say amen. Death is not the end, friends. That's the hope we have in Jesus. Death is not the end. The word faith means trust. In the New Testament, the Greek is the same word for faith and trust. It's the same. And they mean the same thing. Our problem, or at least one of many, our problem is that we limit our ideas about faith to salvation alone. You have faith in Jesus and you're saved. Right? Faith in Jesus, 
and your sins are washed away. And that's it. Now what? You just wait. Right? My sins are washed away. Uh, I'm, I, okay? So now I just, like, die, I guess. Or Jesus comes back and... I don't know if you... There's time in between. What do we do? All right? Faith is not limited only to salvation. We trust in Christ to pay the penalty for our sin on the cross, but that is just the beginning of the wonderful, horrible, blessed, difficult, crazy Christian life. Now that we trust him with our sin, we need to trust him with everything else. Trust him with our whole lives, not trust him from 937 to roughly 11.45, depending on how much coffee the preachers had. So Peter's thoughts here are all about suffering. Not necessarily evangelism, that's good. Not necessarily apologetics, that's good. His thoughts here are all around suffering. Suffering is part of humanity. Everybody suffers. Everybody. But there is a unique suffering that is part of Christianity. And that's suffering for righteousness sake. Suffering for holding to biblical principles. Suffering for, for not valuing earthly things over heavenly things. Suffering for honoring Christ the Lord as holy. This suffering is very real. I'm sure I don't have to tell you that. This happens all over the world. It doesn't just happen in places where Christianity is illegal. It happens in the halls of our schools. It happens in the locker rooms. It happens in our workplaces and in our neighborhoods and even in our families. But here's the wonderful blessing that suffering is. I'm sure that's what you woke up thinking about. I'm so blessed to suffer the way that I do. I think, honestly, we might have that thought if we're not suffering, but I'm so blessed to not be suffering from anything right now. Life's great. You know, they should make T-shirts like life is good. Let it marinate. Okay. More coffee for everybody. Here's the wonderful blessing that suffering is. Suffering exposes our hope. It shows what our hope is truly in. Suffering is the stage for our faith to perform, for our hope to be exercised, and for the gospel to be shared with gentleness and respect. So we ought to submit as sufferers to God's will. Because our suffering is for our good and the good of others. You ever get like stuck in the thought that your suffering is just about you? What about what other people observe when you suffer and how you respond? It has a lot to say about where your hope truly lies. Now, who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. 
But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So that phrase, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. The make a defense there, that's where the word apologetics comes from. Am I the only person in the room that's heard the word apologetics? Okay, good. It's the, the study of... A, of a defense of the faith. It's a theological term. Of, um, whatever. It's a thing that people say. Apologetics, that's the, the word apologia. It just it simply means a defense of the faith. That's why it says that in English. Make a defense. Weird, right? There's a lot to be said about these few verses about making a defense for the hope that is within you. But we can't separate them from, our, from their context. Right? If, if just make a defense is all that you see, then apologetics is for you. But Peter's talking about the church's response to suffering for being a Christ follower. And so what is the response to suffering as a Christian? What is Peter's response? It's hope. It's not a theological discussion on how best to defend the faith. The best way to defend the faith is to exercise it. And when you're faced with suffering, what's your answer? Peter's answer is hope. Always be prepared in the face of suffering to defend the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, I've been talking all this time just to get to this. I guess we could have skipped it, but I don't like doing that. Hope. Hope means to look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. To look forward with confidence to that which is good and beneficial. So what is your hope? What is the reason for the hope that you have within you? When you suffer as a Christian, is that hope exposed? Is the existence of hope or its non-existence, is that exposed when you're faced with suffering? What is your hope and what is the reason for the hope that you have within you? Is your hope in your circumstances is, is just like you just hope things are going to get better in your life? I hope I get that raise. I hope my neighbor moves away. I, I, you know, I whatever. You'll get into the school that you want or you'll get the job that you want or you'll get the spouse that you want or your kids will get uh, everything that they've ever dreamed of, that the Red Sox will win the World Series. That it'll eventually stop raining. That's not hope. That's wishing. They're different. 
If our hope is in our circumstances, we're in real trouble. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. Friends, if we claim Christ as Lord and our hope is it just that our life is going to be good, we are pitiful. That is pitiful. That's what the Bible says about that kind of thinking. Don't you love that? Our hope is not that things in this life will get better. We can expect things in this life to get worse. That's what the Bible promises us. Can I get an amen? Amen. Our hope, our confident expectation of that which is good and beneficial is that Jesus is at work, that Jesus conquered death, And Jesus purchased a place for us in his eternal kingdom. That's our hope. That's our hope. So you can say amen to that if you would like. Amen. Yeah, you already did. So I just reading what I wrote. I didn't want to cheat. I don't want to skip ahead. But as Peter wrote, the confession for the reason for our hope must be accompanied with a good conscience knowing that our faith, our hope, and our behavior all line up. That's where we... We were good until the behavior part. Like what we believe is really important. And what we hope in, what we trust in is really important. So long as we don't have to, like, change anything. I guess it's just me. You're good. John Calvin wrote, what we say without a corresponding life has but little weight. It's meaningless. For we see that many are sufficiently ready with their tongue and prattle on very freely and yet with no fruit because their life does not correspond. Besides, the integrity of conscience alone is that which gives us confidence in speaking as we ought. For they that prattle much about the gospel and whose dissolute life is a proof of their impiety not only make themselves objects of ridicule, but also expose the truth itself to the slanders of the ungodly. Where are your amen now? What we believe is not what we say we believe. What we believe is what we do. Our behavior must match our faith. Our behavior must line up with our hope. How we act and how we speak must line up with God's word. How else are you going to suffer for doing what is good if you don't do what is good? If you are not enthusiastic and zealous for what is good. Saying you believe in Jesus and praising his name here on Sunday morning is a wonderful thing, and I'm so grateful that we get to do it together as a family. But if it stays here when you leave, it does nothing and no good for this world. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, 
you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is certainly counterintuitive for us to thank you for our suffering. To thank you when things don't go right. We prove it by not thanking you when things don't go right. But it's only because our definition is flawed of what's right or what is good. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for bowing to the idol of our own comfort. Forgive us for bowing to the idol of smoothness of life, of the lack of trouble, of happiness. Father, expose the reality of our hope. Correct us, Lord, we pray. Alter our mindset, alter our thinking, alter our behavior to line up with what is truly good according to your word. Not according to our feelings, not according to the world's definition, but according to yours. Help us, Lord, we pray. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we're powerless to do this on our own. We need your help. Please work in our hearts, we pray. We love you and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.